0: On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are going to discuss a uh, little bit of the win, little some aftermath of the win last week against the Lions. We will be previewing the Cleveland Browns with a familiar face at quarterback. Uh, we'll be getting a little deep dive into some analytics here. Okay, math teacher, you know, film junkie on the other side. We'll be talking a little bit about, about analytics time. and also uh, some of this freaking roughing the pastor stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, let, let's just get right into it, man. Uh, you know, obviously great win last week. We talked about it on Monday, uh, or on Sunday night, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, it still feels pretty damn good, right? Looking at watching some of the replays, watching some of the all 22, the Patriots really dominated dominated in every facet of the game against the Lions last week.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's nice to watch. I mean, it's it's funny because when you look at the stats, it doesn't really look like a domination, you know. Pats 22 first downs, Detroit 17 yards was only 364 to 312. And turnovers, I mean, if you look at that, it's 2-1. to one. But the right. number that matters is the 0-6. And, and we talked mm-hmm. about that after the game. Record-setting yeah. performance on fourth down. That's what the football comes down to. Situational football. At, right. That's been the name of the game under Bill Belichick for how long now? Like, Basically, the idea is that if we can play with you for 55 minutes, if we're equal, we're going to win the five minutes that matter. We're going to win that in those situational plays. We're going to win that in the stuff in the middle of the game. And as long as we do that, we're going to beat you because at worst we're going to be even the rest of the time. And we haven't seen that a lot over the last couple of years. Just, I think the team has been figuring out its identity and just getting stuff together. So it's nice to have, I mean, this just felt like an old school bill Belichick, new England Patriots. When you could not tell this team apart from the, the peak of the Brady dynasty in some ways, the way that they were playing. And to say that about this year's team with, a third string rookie quarterback in there is a pretty high compliment.
0: Oh yeah. And defensively for sure. I mean, offensively. Yeah. Okay. The quarterback play was fine. It was good. But he, you know, he did what they wanted him to do. Um, you know, but defensively just to, to play the way that they did and to shut them down, you know, in some of the facets that they did and, and to stop the run the way they were successfully stopping the run was impressive. And so it's stuff that they've had trouble with, you know, of course, now they are playing Cleveland this week and you're about stopping the run. I mean, Nick Chubb is an absolute monster. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, at running back. And then they got Kareem Hunt as well coming out of the backfield. So two really hard to handle guys. Um, You know, Hunt catches the ball extremely well out of the backfield. Chubb is one of the best runners in the game. Um, And so, you know, I think this is another game now where the game is going to depend on who wins in the trenches, right? We said the same thing last week. You know, if you make Jared Goff try to beat you, they cannot do it, and they couldn't. And same thing with the Browns. If you make Jacoby Brissett beat you, I mean, it's just not going to happen. Look what happened in the you know last drive of the game last week. Mm-hmm. You know the Chargers are just so stupid and go for that fourth down, which we'll talk about analytics in a, in a bit. But like, you know, sometimes you, they go for those things. And you're like, what are you doing, right? You could give Brissett the ball back, and Brissett throws just an unconscionable interception. Um, and so it's just kind of like, man, if if Jacoby Brissett is the guy that's going to try to beat you, it's not going to happen, right? If Nick yeah. Chubb runs for 250 yards you you might lose anyways, even if Brissett's terrible.
1: Yeah, and then that's, I think, we'll get into the analytics part of it, but that's also the bet you're taking there. You know that it's Jacoby Brissett on the other side, and you know, right. hey, we can go for it on fourth down because we're not scared of their offense. We think we can get this in one play, and if we don't, we're probably still going to win anyway. And the second to last possession, you got Brissett throwing a pick in the, in the red zone. The next one, they get the ball at whatever the 40-yard line or wherever it was on the fourth down, and can't move the ball you have to settle for a 54 year 54 yard field goal attempt with a rookie right. kicker if he yeah. makes it he makes it like that's you probably not going to do it so um uh, interesting decision making from the chargers there but you can see why they ended up doing it because you give your quarterback one more chance to make a play you're betting that they can't do it and Brissette couldn't do it cleveland yeah. passing offense has not gone over 230 yards for a game yet this year they're, they're averaging <laughs> nearly as many rushing yards per game as they are passing yards. That's what they are. And obviously, that's also because that rushing attack is good. Like, it's, right. it's not, it's, you got to stop it. It's not like they, this is a bad offense. I also think they're better coached than what we've seen from the Lions, at least on offense. Uh, and I think that was the other thing watching the tape from this week that was apparent. That's a bad Lions offense. Put aside the Jared Goff stuff, the game plan was not, Fantastic! Yeah. They got T.J. Hawkinson. They never involved him in the game last week. They never even tried to. They were using him as a blocker on Matt Judon for felt like half of his snaps. And just, what do you do in there? So I think I think the Browns coaches are going to put them in a better spot to succeed. So you got to bring your A game. And the other thing is that the Pats are probably reusing the game plan next week in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which means the Browns have seen it. Browns know exactly what is coming their way. It's going to make it harder to execute this week but I have full faith that these guys can do it.
0: Right, and that's the thing. I mean, look, you, you know, you're going from a, a bad rushing defense to the worst rushing defense in the NFL. They're giving up an average of like seven yards per carry. It's just, yeah. it's bad. It's abysmal on, on Cleveland's side. And so if you're able to run the ball, that's great. If they stack the box on you, you're going to have to be able to throw it. Now, he dropped back, the pa- Zappy dropped back the pass 22 times. Okay, and so, and was only pressured in two of them. And, uh, you know, only attempted 21 passes. Right. So to me, I look at it and say, all right, if you know, if you can complete 17 out of those 21. Right. So like an effective day, yes, an interception, but that's a drop. Right. So like if you can have that type of effectiveness throwing the ball and be able to run the ball as well. You know, I think that that's that's really important. Right. Obviously. And now you get, you know, I think I was happy with what I saw from Tyquan Thornton. I think you watch some of the film. And you see the effortlessness of him and how he can get open so quickly and kind of do whatever he wants on the football field, which is really nice. And so, you know, will they scheme some more things up for him? Will they will they try to get him behind some of the defenders? Right. And if they can do that, then now all of a sudden Cleveland, yeah, okay, you can stack the box all you want. But now you got to worry about the deep ball, too, which isn't something you necessarily think of with a, you know, with a rookie fourth round pick at quarterback. But like, yeah, I mean, if you're going to stack the box on us, throw eight, nine guys in the box, well, we'll just run a deep route on you. And and our guy's faster than your guy, and he's going to blow by him, and it's going to be a touchdown. And then it's like, well, now, okay, now we're going to sit back. And so, you know, and then it's that push-pull, right? And so you have to be effective when you're throwing the ball as well. Um, but I do think the Patriots have a good chance here, um, you know, to have another good offensive day against a defense that just that just frankly isn't that good.
1: No. I think this is the third week in a row now that they're playing the worst run defense by DVOA. It's pretty nice. <laughs> they just keep keep coming up against that. So, I mean, if that's how it is, run until it's not going to happen. Ramondre right. looked fantastic. I mean, the way Ramondre looked on Sunday, when you go back and watch the film, the offensive line was actually worse than I expected it to be. They did mm-hmm. not have their best day. The thing was, Ramondre was so good that he was taking advantage of every single inch of grass that he right. could find And if you're, I mean, if if he's able to keep playing like that, I don't think we're getting Damian Harris back this week. Although, is he limited in practice today? Today's Wednesday. I think he was limited.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, though, is that a report came out, I think, on Monday that said he was probably going to miss multiple weeks. So he might have been limited, but I can't imagine he was doing anything other than, you know, stretching out on the field before practice. Because I think that, for the most part, they're only watching warm-ups. They're not watching any of the practice at this point, I believe. Yeah. Um, so you know, so yeah, he's part of the stretching and warming up and stuff, and then and then he's done.
1: Yeah. So Ramondre might get 20, 25 touches on Sunday in between rushes and him getting the ball in the passing game. He's gonna, they're gonna ask him to be a workhorse. I think he's good enough to do it. I think there are pretty valid arguments about why he might be the best back on this team anyway. So yep. letting him go is gonna be nice. Um, and I think, I mean, if you're able to part, I think one of the really good things about last week that you got two guys that they're trying to integrate into the team as rookies, Tyquan Thornton, Marcus Jones. And the first couple snaps, they had a couple issues, bad spacing on things, figuring things out. The next time they're out there, things looked a little bit better. They're just adjusting to the speed. Um, I think Thornton had a couple plays where he was kind of running routes at the wrong depth or running into guys, which happened to him one or two times in the preseason. And that's just experience. You got to get out there, do it against actual players. Right. Um, I don't know, like, he, he could have had a touchdown or two on Sunday, too, with how he was getting open. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't think Bailey Zappi is going to put the ball in like Derek Carr was to Devontae Adams on Monday Night Football with some of those deep throws. But he shouldn't need to if they're able to do this the way they want to. And yeah. the other thing, if Thornton's able to give you something, which with Nelson Aguilar doing what he has done this point, it's Thornton's going to get some looks now. He's able to do some of that stuff, and also no, uh, no LJ Humphrey on the roster either. He was got back down to the practice squad. So if you got Thornton sad. doing some of this, super thing, sad. Yeah. He had, I did not <laughs> think he had a great game on Sunday either, Humphrey. But if Thornton's able to do some of this stuff, even if like he doesn't have to, he does not have to have a single catch to make an impact on the game. If right. the Browns are, if he gets by somebody and the Browns are scared enough by it to say, hey, we want to make sure we have somebody deep. That can open up intermediate stuff. You can Mm -hmm. have him running the clear outs with Jacoby Myers coming in underneath him somewhere and pick up 15 yards that way, or just force him to have two safeties back and a lighter box. And now you can run the ball with just a little bit easier. Instead of getting five yards, he might get nine yards and those little things that can add up for you. I'm excited to see how that's going to look this week with just another week of these guys integrated in. And I I, I think, I think we're getting zappy on Sunday. I'm not ruling out back. But I think we're getting one more game of Zappi.
0: I just think, you know, Giardi came out with a report that said, like, there might be a little bit of instability in his ankle. And to me, it's just like, why? Why would you even consider starting your franchise quarterback, you know, in the sixth game of the season if there's even a question about the stability of his ankle at this point? It just doesn't make any sense. And I, like, you know, and, and I've been saying it on here, and I'll continue to say it what I want to see happen and what it seems like is happening, what I want to see happening is for Mac be pushing to play and the Patriots be like, okay, we're happy that you want to play. That's awesome. That's great. Keep out, keep playing. Are you, you know, keep doing your thing, keep trying to get better. You're not ready yet. You're not playing yet. Right. And Mac, like, okay, "Okay, I can play, but Nope, you're not ready yet. And, and it's, it's on the team to put, the safety of him ahead of everything else. Right. Because ultimately he is the guy, right. It's not like, you know, it's not like freaking Andy Dalton in, in new Orleans or Daniel Jones for the giants. Although, you know, who knows what's going to happen there, but like, you know, he's not one of those guys where it's like, okay, yeah. Okay, fine. If we put you out there and you get hurt. Yeah. Okay. It sucks for you and whatever, Mm -hmm. like now, but like, no, he's the guy. If you think he's the guy, you don't want, you're not risking any, a, a more long-term injury by putting him out there. So to me, I, I'd say at least this week, if not even next week, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, who knows what the treatment looks like, but that's what I would say. Yeah.
1: And they got an extra long week next week, too. You got right. Monday Night Football against the Bears. He got an extra day in there. So I think, I, I think he's back for that Bears game. I think and so, I think, it, I think, you probably I think right. it's a, I think it's a, a toss-up this week leading towards no. Um which uh, yeah, like I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. We did have a question come in about Pierre Strong. How much we're going to see of him? Yep, I have no idea. I'm excited. We didn't see. He he wasn't active on Sunday. No, well, he was he? not. Nope. Yeah. Um, I I'm curious. I I don't know the answer to this question. I think if they like him, they might go into this and say we're going to give you a third of the carries that we're putting out there. We're going to put you out there for two, three, maybe four series, depending on how the game is going. Uh, if they're more cautious, it might be one series, maybe two. I lean towards that based on what we saw in the preseason.
0: I mean, you know, that certainly seems like, by the way, ASJ12, thank you for the for the comment. I, I just I just don't know. I, I don't know where they're going to come with that because you want to spell Ramondra. You don't want to have Ramondre play every single play, right? So then the question is, well, then who else is the one that gets activated right now? It's not going to be Kevin Harris because he's on the he's on the practice squad, and you'd have to cut him to get him back to the practice squad. It'd be no, stupid they can, to elevate him.
1: They can elevate him, right? They can give him like the game day elevation.
0: Oh, I guess you're right. That's true. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. game day elevations can get can go revert back down at the end of the day. I, guess, I suppose you're right about that. So theoretically, yeah. they could they could do yeah. Kevin Harris instead. But one of those guys, you would assume it's going to be. I mean, obviously, it's going to be either Pierre Strong, JJ Taylor, or Kevin Harris. I would yeah. think whichever one they're more comfortable with in past sets right? I think Ramondre does a nice job in pass pro. We did a really nice job on Sunday in pass pro. That's going to be the question. Can you trust that guy in pass pro? And you know, if they, if they feel like they can, then, then he'll play, you know, more than expected. I think really the, that's what it comes down to for me is like, we can't have you out there a lot, kid, if you're not gonna be able to pass protect. Right. And so, exactly. okay, maybe we can r- run a screen to you or you can run it a few times, but like, you can't be out there for more than, you know, five or 10 plays if he can't pass protect, Right. And so that's going to be the real question because, you know, you may go out and call a run and then we get to the line and we check to a pass. And now it's like, Oh crap, Pierre Strong's out there. He can't pass project and he's got to pass protect right. There's going to be a blitzer coming off the edge and he's got to be the guy that gets them. Can we trust you to do that? Right. And so um, I think that just, you know, that's going to be what depends on whether he plays, you know, First of all, who it is that plays, number one, and then how much that person plays. Because regardless of if they all suck at pass, bro, someone else has got to play. You can't just play Ramondre every single play, right? So yeah. someone else yeah. is going to be on the active roster, and someone else is going to get a few snaps. And and we'll see. I would think it would be Pierre Strong. That seems to be the one that makes the most sense. He seems to be the guy that makes the most sense. Um, but, you know, uh, who knows?
1: Yeah. Oh, and the other thing here is that they've only used two running backs this year, essentially. Right. Uh, Ramondre has 68 rushing attempts. Damian Harris is 57. And then when Ty Montgomery was in there, he had two other rushing attempts and four targets in the passing game. I think that was all week one. And he's they, they've said he's not coming back this week. So there's definitely yeah. a situation here where if they have confidence in Pierre Strong as a backup, they might just roll into Sunday with two running backs. They've been yeah. doing it for most of the season, at least two guys on the active roster. Um, they do have a spot on the 53 if i'm remembering correctly right now since they they sent humphrey down that's so true so they might i mean it's possible that they're going to sign a back to bring in i'm not sure if they would do that i i don't think you'd have two guys on the practice squad if you didn't think one of them could contribute if needed the only the only caveat to that being jj taylor might be too small small in pass protection and kevin harris uh, I like him, but he's got some fumble issues. I'm also yep. not sure about him in pass protection. So if they're like, honestly, this is one of those scenarios where you kind of wish you had Brendan Bolton laying around just to come yep. in and give you some snaps. Who, by the way, yeah. I thought looked pretty decent for the Raiders Monday night. He and,
0: always looks good, man. He always does. It's crazy. The guy just stays around. He he just looks good every single time he plays. It's crazy.
1: He's He's not exceptional at really anything, but he's not bad at anything either. He's just, right. he's, he's ridiculously solid in every aspect of being a running back, which is important.
0: Yeah. So I, I agree with you and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, I just, um, yeah, I'm curious to kind of see where that goes. Right. And we'll, we'll see what, where it ends up. Uh, but again, seems to be that strong would make the most sense, hmm. but you know, but who knows? And, uh, you know, with Damien being out, it's going to be, you know, it's tough. To fill that in, and maybe Ty Montgomery is back next week. I don't know, right? He was on IR. He is eligible to come off. Theoretically, he would have been eligible to come off this week because it's week because week six, right? So yeah. he's not quite ready yet. There's really been no rumblings about him at all. So
1: no, it, it uh, doesn't sound like he's close the way that they no, talked it about it either. Which is funny so.
0: because he hurt his ankle and then played the next week on looked the ankle
1: fine. and looked fine. So I, so I he must have. He must have two must have come out of that feeling real rough, which again, that was an ankle sprain, right? right. An, it plays right into the Mac Jones conversation.
0: 100%. Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, another thing, if we want to go to the defensive side of the ball real quick here, I think yep. the, the injury situation to monitor is going to end up being Lauren's guy yet again. So they've gone against, they gave up a lot of yards against Green Bay without right. him on the running, running game. And then they bounced back last week. They can do it again, I think, without him, but having him out there helps a lot. Uh, We saw Sam Roberts get some reps last week, and they put him into the game. Oh, the, Lyon, the Lions ran at him the first four plays he was in the game, just right at him every single yep. time. And I thought Roberts actually looked all right in those, but they picked, up, you know, they picked up four or five yards on every carry towards him. And the one that they didn't, it was a third and one, and they still got the first down, even though it was only a yard. So, I mean, I don't think Roberts looked bad. He probably looked just as good as Equale did, but you'd rather have Lawrence Guy out there. And of course, if you can, yeah. If you can split your defensive tackle reps evenly between Guy Barmore and Godshaw, you're probably going to feel good about it with a little bit from Carl Davis here and there and a little bit from Aquali, or a little bit from Roberts. One series yeah. from each of those guys. or some some situational usages.
0: And I, um, I think they've really been doing a nice job of rotating guys in and out. You know, you see guys in and out. It's happened to on a bunch. There, I mean, I think they really – and we talked about it last – I think we talked about it last week, right, how they saw what happened last year to Judon and to some of those guys, and they said, we got to keep these guys fresh, right? They can't be out there every play, and so they're rotating guys in and out. Penny Jennings is getting a decent amount of snaps, which is – and he's looked pretty good out there. But he looked and,
1: really good last week.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, that's one of those things where it's like these guys, they keep just shuffling them in and out, and Roberts is a guy that I was super high on coming in. I was excited about him. I think he's looked really good. Um, Mm. And I've been, you know, I've been happy. I was pleasantly surprised at what I saw on Sunday. Again, not great. He wasn't like, oh my God, but like, I I just, I don't know. um, You know, I I was, I was happy. I was happy to see the way he played at least. And I thought he held up okay. So I'm like, all right, hey, I'm cool with that for a six round rookie, right? So, and that's, you know, And then we'll see. They rotate guys in and out, and then we go from there. And to me, that's exactly what you want, right? Keep these guys fresh. you got enough guys in there that you can rotate them in and out. And not having Lawrence Guy is tough because Lawrence Guy is a really nice guy to be able to rotate in in and out there. Um, But, you know, even if he can't go this week, the hope is that at least he'll be back next week because he was a guy that I I don't think they really expected him to be out long term. Um, Mm -hmm. And now this will be, you know, his third straight week missing, which would be tough.
1: Yeah, he's, he's still a really good player. Then um, I think the other aspect of their defense last week being good, I thought the linebackers as a group had a fantastic day. I thought Bentley probably had one of his best games as a Patriot, doing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff. I thought Mac Wilson showed up in the passing game. Um, the one thing I've noticed that they've done with him the last couple of weeks where he's been good is they line him up right over the right over the center, right in the middle of the field where he can blitz, and then they have him drop out. So he'll line up there. Sometimes he'll drop out. And uh, you remember all those pa- all those crossing routes that Miles Bryant got killed on against the Bills? Well, they're dropping Mac Wilson back, and he's sitting right there looking both ways for the receivers so he can right. hit one of them. Make it yeah. make it hard on him. Make it so they can't hit that pass right away. Um, the play before on that first drive for the Lions, play set up that fourth down was Mac Wilson dropping back, hitting a receiver. Goff has to get out when he's chasing him down, knocking him out a half yard short. Awesome stuff. And then later in the game, He faked like he's dropping back and then comes on the blitz. Gets a free rush at Jared Goff, which ends up being a roughing the passer penalty, which we can get into in a minute. Yeah. Uh, And then I thought thought Tavea looked better again. I think he has looked better every week to the point where, like, I'm not sure if he's that much worse than Kyle Van Noy was last year. He's doing a lot of the same stuff. They're putting him on the weak side. He's in the run game. He's a better pass rusher than I thought he'd be. He's physical on receivers, like we saw Kyle Van Noy do at different parts. Uh, he's not. He's not as athletic. I don't think he's as good of a pass rusher, but he's better in the run game than Noy was. So this is Tevez, has all of a sudden become a real asset to this defense, kind of on the edge and defending the run in all aspects.
0: I will say, I um, I think. It's really tough, really difficult for me to say this. I think Charlie Dwight is pretty good. He's actually pretty good. It's like I was so mad that he was going to be on the team. Right. And then, like, he, yeah, he, like, he's, he's been okay. He's been like more than okay. He is like bordering on like reliable at this point, which is like completely mind blowing that that's the case. Um, and I just, it's It's been an absolute shock for me. I thought McMillan looked pretty good. Jawan Bentley is the, is the guy that, you know, when you talk about stopping the run, right, and you talk about getting after the running back, Jawan Bentley is the guy that leads that attack. He's an absolute monster coming downhill. He loves playing the run. He take, I mean, takes on blockers. He sheds blockers. The guy is a, a monster. So when he's playing north and south like that, he's really good. He's not as good in coverage or, you know, inside to side. He's okay, but like, he's not as good in coverage and doing other things like that, but that's not what you necessarily have him for. That's why you have the other guys that you have. So, you know, I think that he's going to be a key for them this week, playing the type of game he, he played again. If he plays the way as well, as he did plays as well as he did on Sunday. think they're going to be just fine um, stopping the run, you know? And yeah. so the linebackers are getting better, man. The corners are getting better. The Jones brothers. I I I don't know if you saw that clip, um, the NFL network clip or the I think it was Paramount Plus clip of you know the the Jones brothers and how uh how uh Jonathan Jones is calling him his like his children or whatever. And no, uh, I haven't seen that, is that uh, inside awesome. the his, NFL. His, I haven't watched I that think yet. So, this yeah. week. He was like uh he was like the youngins. He's he called he called John, Marcus and John and uh and Jack Jones's youngins. It was great. But that's like and they're playing well right now. And you said Marcus Jones, like Marcus Jones, got in there against the slot and and played pretty well. And you know, okay, was wasn't it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty yeah. good. And the upside that he gives you is huge, right? And so yes, Miles Bryant, he's a smart defender and he knows what he's supposed to do and blah blah. But, but like he doesn't like he's not he's yeah, not I anything will- special, right? And I will say there's one play. And I I'll let you go in a second. There's was one play where. I don't, know if, I don't know if it was a running back across the middle or a guy cut the ball over the middle, and all of a sudden, it was just an absolute, just someone got absolutely stomped over the middle, and it was Marcus Jones just bringing the absolute boom. Oh, step. yep. Yeah. And, like, he loves he's, to do it. He's a small guy, but he loves to do that.
1: He's a little cannonball. Yeah. He's, he's good at that. And I thought when Marcus Jones came in, like, his first possession, there were a couple plays that were rough. I thought he got away with a holding penalty on maybe his first or second snap in. Yeah. And he got kind of turned around on the next play, but... I mean, that happens uh, and if it's your if that happens and it's basically your first possession ever in the NFL and you're up by four scores at that point or three scores right. or wherever right. they were, I don't know I don't, how you look later, how you respond is all I care about there and he responded well. Um, Miles Bryant, I thought too I thought he had a much better day like when you watch it back, I thought he did so many little things well that kind of stood out like, uh, I know Taylor Kyle's pointed this out, but the the secondaries had issues layering all season where like they just got guys bumping into each other downfield, yeah. like picking each other and not not calling out where they are and miles bryant has been just about perfect with that all year long he kind of always keeps the right depth he's good at avoiding guys and especially once the lions had some of their depth guys in late in the game they had just no chance against him he was smothering guys which is what yeah. you want to see there i think he's a really smart back and um uh, yeah, so it's, I mean even he, if if Miles Bryant is the, your worst corner that's on the field, you're going to be in pretty decent shape I think as a secondary cuz he's a he's a solid player as they come. He is a he is a perfect C average player which that has that has value in the NFL. He sure does. He sure does. He's he's the C average player that gets his assignment in on time every single time.
0: Yeah. 100%, right? And that's Sean Wade is a bizarre case, man, because he's got to be the biggest bust ever, dude. I mean, for him to not even be able to crack the game day roster, he must stink. I mean, I guess
1: it's it's weird because when he's actually played, he's looked pretty good. This might be a case of everybody that's ahead of him on the depth chart is better or younger. So there's just it's no there's no like. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. uh, And a second year player, though,
0: I mean, like he's not that old.
1: No, but it's, they got two rookies in there, right? And it's, you're always going to play Jack Jones and Marcus Jones ahead of. Wow. Sean and Jack Wade. Jones has
0: earned it at this point. Jack exactly. Jones has earned it. I Jack mean, Jones like is better.
1: Yeah. And he's younger. Um, yeah. But yeah. Sean Wade was a first round pick at one point. That's where that's what we were thinking of him. So right. obviously I hope he can get something out of that. I think the odds of this secondary staying completely healthy for the rest of the season are pretty low as with it's very any true. position. Just group. like any secondary. Yeah. So Wade, Wade might get a game or two in here. Let's see what he's able to do with that. Maybe gets on the field and makes some plays. Uh, I'm that? I still I still have some hope there. I don't think they're. I mean, he made this roster over some other guys that we wanted to keep. So that's let's see. I, I'm curious to see if he does get on the field how he looks. I don't think he's going to be a star, but if he can if he can be a Miles Bryant level corner, but as an outside guy, I think you take that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's well, and that's, that's right. a nice depth corner.
0: And that's the thing when you're talking about depth, right? You're not talking about guys that are going to be great players. And you're hoping that Jack Jones, it's very early, but you're hoping that Jack Jones can develop into one of those great corners, right? JC Jackson is in L.A. getting torched right now. That's not going to continue, right? But like, no. he's looked pretty bad his first few games in LA. Now maybe the coaching isn't as good. Maybe they're running a different scheme. Maybe they're doing he's a still, million different things. Still recovering right? from an injury. He's a, and right, he's a press and that's man part corner. Of I think
1: what he had a, did he have a groin injury? Is that what he was dealing with out there or something? I think so. Yeah. 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 That's uh, that's like it's the worst. That's one of the worst possible injuries you can have as a corner because you're going to be asked to play through it. Right. But you're going to lose your quickness and you're a press man corner whose entire game is built around jumping on balls for interceptions. Well, your quickness is gone. What are you doing?
0: Yeah. No, and that's the thing. People like, oh, Jay-Z sucks. And I'm like, okay, let's relax here. Relax. Okay, even if he wasn't hurt, like, you know, still he's going to be fine. He's just fine. So um, but, you know, you're hoping that Jack Jones can develop into one of those like great cornerbacks, you know, that Malcolm Butler who, you know, who played well for all. Malcolm Butler really fell off after after a year, but like, you know, a JC Jackson type of player. Right. And so uh, maybe that can happen with Jack Jones, but either way, you know, a guy like Sean Wade, if he can develop into that miles Bryant type player where he's just a C average player, you need guys like that. You need depth guys on your roster because of attrition. Right. So, um, so we'll see. We'll see. I will say dark Sage had had a long thing over here talking about, Mac Jones and and the media's kind of perception of him and and how, you know, some people have already, some people have already like are already are quick to anoint Bailey Zappi and talking about how they're better. He's better than Mac Jones and Mac Jones isn't that good. And it just like, it drives me a little crazy. And so I think the other part that people have to understand is that, you know, we're not, this isn't 2014, right? This, this is not 2014. It's not 2016. It's not 2018. We're not going to the Super Bowl. We're not. That's not the team that we are. Okay. But I think that we are a young, fun team. And Mac has done some things, did a lot of things last year that I think makes him look like the guy. Now, he did a lot of things this year that made him look like maybe he's not the guy. But I do think, and I, you know, the one thing that I keep coming back to is Tommy Caron. you know, pointed this out where he talked about, you know, Brady in the first, he said four games six games. I don't I don't remember four. I think it was four games, but it might've been six games either. way, It doesn't matter. I think it was the, I think it was the first four games of the 2020, 20, 2002 season. Brady's second year starting, obviously started during the NFL and his first four games of the season. He had six picks or no first six games of the season. He had 10 picks. That's what it was. First yeah. six games of the season, yeah. he had 10 picks and he was all over the place. And then they yeah. scaled the offense back. They uh, let him do the things that he was good at. And he threw like three picks the rest of the year. And, like, that is the type of thing that happened at the beginning of the year with Mac Jones. Hey, push the ball downfield. Get aggressive. Do this. Do, and it's like, okay, whoa, let's, let's rein it back in a little bit. That's not, We can't be turning the ball over all the time. I think he's trying to make too many plays instead of letting the game come to him, which I think he did a really good job of that last year. And so I do think that once they scale it back for him a little bit, kind of pull the reins in and be like, hey, these are the throws that you can't make that you shouldn't be making. Right. And eventually you will. But right now you can't or right now maybe you're not looking at it correctly, I should say. And then, you know, and then kind of pull it back and you'll see a much better, I think, at least a much better version of Mac Jones. And we'll see if that comes true or not. But that's kind of that's been sticking with me ever since I saw that uh, that Tommy Curran tweet. And so that to me is kind of where I'm at right now. Like, let's not panic about Mac Jones just yet. I know Bailey Zappi looked okay, but like, come on, he attempted 21 passes last week. It's not, you know.
1: Yeah, that's what, what Zappy attempted last week. 21, Mac has been at that level or less attempts in a game only three times, and one of those was the Buffalo game in the wind last year. So they're asking him to do, they asked Zappy to do very little compared to um, what Mac has been asked to do. Mac's really chucking the ball down the field this year, which I like to see. Uh, you talk about Brady, too, in year two. He had a stretch there where I think he had... Two, three, and three interceptions and in three straight games, or something along those lines. It was the it games against the Packers, Dolphins, and Chargers, if I'm remembering correctly.
0: Sounds about right. When yeah.
1: I went back, I went back, I found those games, or one of them might have been against the Bills. I'm trying to remember. I, I found footage of those games. I went back and I watched his picks in them because I was curious. I was like, okay, what types of picks are these from Brady? Is this just some dumb stuff, or was he making mistakes? And about half of them were the same mistakes we've seen from Mac Jones. It's yep. same, same exact stuff, which I think this is kind of the the way a quarterback g- grows over time. You're gonna start with okay, can you do the basics? Can you hit the throws on time in rhythm? Can you run a basic offense? Mac passed that test through the first however many games of the season last year, up through the bye week. He was really good. He did all the basic stuff. If the game was scaled down and he was just asked to be a game manager, he could win you games. So pass that one. The next thing is, can you adjust when defenses have adjusted to you and are actually game planning for you? And can you make some of those higher level throws? And I think we've seen that he can do those things. The problem is he loses a little bit of step one in the process. He's like he's like that kid who's who's taking the test, who's getting all the hard questions right. And then they're just blowing through the easy questions because they think, oh, I've got this now and you end up get three multiple choice questions wrong because you missed a parentheses or a comma somewhere that changed the meaning of it. Like that's, that's the issue with Mac Jones for the most part right now. And those are the mistakes you can't make, but he's, he's shown he can play and not make those mistakes. You just got to do it when the difficulty is a little bit higher and there's more stress and there's more going on. Right. I think. Agreed. Yeah. 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 I have. Yeah, I mean, Mac is the guy. Z- Zappy's unless if Zappi plays this week and throws 50 passes and completes 35 of them, then we can have a conversation about, oh, who started with Max Beck? Maybe. But this is a guy who was runner-up offensive rookie of the year last year and right. who would have been uh, yeah, not, run away Jamar with Chase. that award if not for Jamar Chase. Yeah. yeah. So uh, before we – I know we have other topics, but I want to jump back to one thing on the defense real quick just to say yes. it. Nick Chubb is a much harder guy to bring down than – just about anybody the Patriots have played this season. Quite true. And you have to bring your A game with tackling. You got to be physical. You got to actually finish tackles. And I, don't, I don't think they've had an issue with this, but you got to do it again. Duggar and Phillips, I think, have been fantastic. Yep. Phillips had a play last week. was an RPO from the Lions, and the Patriots just covered both aspects of it. The slant wasn't open. Marcus Jones was all over that. Judon dropped back into the lane. So Goff hands it off, except Wise isn't blocked. <laughs> There's yeah, nobody else. so he's just there. The running back tries to get around and Phillips comes back, tries to stiff arm him, and he just he grabs onto the back and falls like it's wrestling and just drags him down to the ground. It was amazing. So that was he-
0: that was the play before the uh, the fumble six. That was the play before yeah. the strip sack that was return for touchdown. And that was that play knocked them out of field goal range. Mm-hmm. And again, they had a backup kicker, so that's why they didn't attempt a long field goal, but that was like a six-yard loss or something like that. And so, you know, if you if you look at that and and he doesn't make that play or he misses that tackle and even if he gets just back to the line of scrimmage, they probably just kick the field goal and maybe they miss it. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But either way, it's not return for a touchdown like it was, you know, in the strip sack. So that play right there was was a fantastic play by him. And, you know, I think that that strip sack changed the entire scope of the game, you know, so that was a huge play looking back at it.
1: Exactly. And that's and that right there is that's the physicality that they need to bring, because that's one Mm. of those plays where if it's Nick Chubb out there instead of whoever that backup is that Detroit had in it's a much harder guy to bring down. So you just got to make sure you're finishing those tackles because Chubb can turn a three yard run into a 10 yard run, could turn a 10 yard run into a touchdown. Like he can he he could turn a negative five yard run into a first down. It's thinking back to Marion Barber in (sighs) that, that, that 07 game. Breaking five tackles in his own end zone. Yeah. Nick Chubb might not be that guy, but this is a tough guy. So gotta bring it. And I think they did a good job against him last year, too, when these teams played. Was he playing in that game or was he out for that one? Chubb he might have been out for that one.
0: I think Chubb was he out was. last week. Last year. That was, oh, I, yeah. think it, that was, I think Hunt came back, but Chubb wasn't there.
1: Yeah, that was and that was that point in the season when all of the Browns' running backs just that oh no that they didn't even it was no they
0: didn't even hunt they had what's his name went for like 150 or something like that right dearness johnson
1: he had 19 carries for 99 yards only one other guy had a rushing attempt johnny stanton didn't pick up any yards he's the fullback last year Uh, speaking of speaking of browns fullbacks you see who they're using as a fullback in their goal line package i saw this earlier i did not yell the froholt uh, oh, offensive lineman the pats drafted.
0: <laughs> look, look at him still in the league and stuff
1: yeah using him as a fullback i wonder if the pats wish they had that right now yeah i'm maybe sure they i'm sure they don't right no <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll see like chasing Hines, a fullback this
0: season. yeah you never know that'd be kind that'd of funny fun.
1: yeah so is it time to get controversial Pat? it is it is time <laughs> to get
0: controversial so let's start let's start with the uh with the roughing the passer stuff the rough in the past stuff is is just a joke. And it, it's been a joke for a while, right? But y- you talked about touching the passer. I mean, that's, I mean, like, <laughs> what else can you say? You talked about the Mac Wilson one. I thought the Mac Wilson was was just, just brutal. And I can see where an angle kind of looks like he, he doesn't, though. He doesn't. Mac Wilson goes over to him. He, like, pushes him. Mm-hmm. And Jared Goff is jumping in the air. So, Goff comes down. And as he's coming down... The, the bottom of his helmet hits the top of Mac Wilson's helmet because it's just there, and it's a penalty yeah. on Mac Wilson. And it's like you've got to be kidding me. Then you had the brissette one, which was like, come on, like that's embarrassing. That that was, but at least with that one, like at least he was, at least he ended up on the ground. So like, if the ref looks away as he's throwing it and then looks back and he's on the ground, all of a sudden, okay, maybe the flag came out.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't have come out but like whatever, you know what I mean? And refs refs getting fooled by a flop is a thing in every single sport. It's true. It's very true. The Brady one is egregious, really
0: egregious. I don't think it's as egregious as as people will say. What I think it what I find hilarious is that the Brady one was so egregious that everyone talked about it for a full 24 hours and how ridiculous Tom Brady is and this is embarrassing and he gets all the calls and blah 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 blah. And then on Monday Night Football, yeah. it's arguably the worst call I've ever seen. That's That might be the worst call in NFL history. And nobody, had, nobody says, oh, well, it's, you know, I mean, it was only because of the quarterback. I mean, they, the only Derek reason Carr. why they made that call well, was and because the reason, of Derek Carr gets all of the... No, that's not the reason the, that the call was made. That's stupid because the refs being dumb... He didn't even have the ball when it was roughing the passer. I mean, it just—it's so incredibly bad that it, you just—it's—it's it's almost blows your mind.
1: Yeah, and I think with the Brady one too, it's like I get why people say like, "Oh, it's Brady, it's Brady." To a certain extent, every star quarterback gets a little bit more protection. I think veterans get a little bit more protection there too. Uh, I think that's just kind of a human psychology thing to an extent. Um, but the other part of it is that what Brady always does is he he's in the ref's ear every time you think something's wrong and it may be annoying at times as a fan. I know it's you see anytime you see an opponent doing that and you don't agree with it, you're going to get annoyed about it. But it's their job. I think if doing that is going to get them more calls, then they'd be wrong to not do it. Right. Getting in there. Then that's that's a. It's just gamesmanship. I don't really have any issue with any coach or player doing that. Even if it gets on my nerves at times, you got to do it. It's part of the job. But yeah, I think in some ways, the most egregious part of that Chiefs Raiders one is that there's a pretty good argument based on the rule book that it was the right call. And that's, that's the issue is that if we're at a right. point where that can ever be arguably a correct call where that's <laughs> close, something's right. wrong. Uh, And the NFL has already come out. Um, I don't have their statement in front of me, but their statement was basically gaslighting people into saying, oh, you want us to not care about quarterback safety anymore? We care the most about quarterback safety, and we're not touching this rule. Just like, come on. Like, we all – you're just being stubborn, and you're playing a PR thing here, and you got to defend them. I get it, but it's so frustrating. And I – am I'm not going to say, like, nobody's sitting here saying, yes, what the NFL needs is more quarterbacks getting hurt. That is the change in the product. What we're saying is, hey, let's be able to play this sport and have the normal things that happen happen and not become penalties. That's all we're asking for. It's it doesn't seem like that much to ask, does it? No, and it's it doesn't even seem that hard to solve either. You're always going to have blown calls, but it seems like the type of I think. Forget, I think it was it Chris Jones who said it after the game, talking about how we should just have somebody reviewing these calls. That easy. See, that seems fair. All you yep. need is somebody to say, "Hey, like we got, we we're going to take a look at this." And, oh, and of course, now yeah. that now that the NFL is in the gambling era, all of this kind of has a whole new layer to it, and. I'm not like I don't I don't believe in any of it. But anybody who wants to say the NFL is rigging games, well, if you want to rig games, that stuff like this is easily how you can do it. Especially if there's a gambling aspect and there's a financial aspect to any of this. There's no evidence for it. I don't think that's actually going on. But if you want people to lose faith in the product, the way to do it is to undermine people's faith in it. And that I mean that happened with the NBA with. The officials yeah, going Dungy on there. And obviously, and it's yeah. it's still. I mean, Scott Foster still in the league, and that's yeah. still a quality product that Ridiculous. people watch. So maybe yeah. maybe it's fine. Uh, and the other the other part of this, the cynical part of me says the NFL likes it. The NFL knows that when there are blown calls in big talk games, we'll talk about it. You'll know, get media coverage, and it's going to get clicks and anger, and nobody's going to stop watching.
0: Right, right, and that's you know, I mean, even you go so far as to as to look at you know the Saints. Who got cheated out of a Super Bowl, right? And it's like, well, yeah, sorry, too bad. But people still talk about it. But it is what it is, you know. And so, uh, you know, what's the uh, what's the old what's the old headline, right? Any news is good news, right? So it's like, or any publicity is good publicity, right? Like that's, I mean, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And so I, I just I hate it. I hate it. Some of the stuff it's just like, come on, like, you know, every single thing, everything could be could be rough in the past. Now listen. There was one play the the one that started the fight in the Steelers game, Steelers post game, Absolute dirtbag cheap shot by Lawson, I think it was, who as Pickett is throwing it, kind of jumping, he dives at his ankles. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like that's oh, ridiculous. He's on the th- run.
1: Are you talking about the one where the guy was sliding? Pickett was no. sliding or no? Okay.
0: No, Pickett Pickett got up and like and like pushed him off okay. him and, and they started like a big scrum because Pickett was like running. Stop to, like, jump and, like, throw it. And as he's throwing it, the Bills guy, like, dove at his ankles or dove at his knees as he was throwing it. It was like, what are you doing, guy? It was just, it was bad. It was one of those ones where, like, he easily could have caught his ankle or his knee and, like, ripped it up. And he just, so that's the type of play that, yeah, I'm fine with that, okay? I'm fine with, you don't want to go low on a quarterback? Cool i'm I'm okay with that because I understand the plant leg is there, and we don't want him to tear his ACL and whatever. i I get it. But like, at a certain point, man, you just got to be able to like to not to not just play football. I mean, the Brady one he just got tackled, right? And I understand if you watch it, it looks similar to the two one. And I think that that's I think that was the original thought process is that, you know, Tua, he brings him down, he sits on his butt, and then he flips him over, and Tua goes back on his head. Brady, similar, but he didn't flip him over with an ounce of, you know, even a a third or a quarter of the the force that Tua got flipped over with. But it was a similar-looking play, right? And Brady, of course, lands on his shoulder and on his head, so it's different, but, like, still just the way he got whipped around, I I can see where they threw the flag on that. I can at least see it. Right. But again, should that be the penalty? Should that be a penalty? Like it shouldn't be. No. But the way that they the way they call the rules, that technically is roughing the passer because it is which is stupid, but that's the rule. And so I just, you know, it makes it difficult. And listen, Brady, we I mean listen, people could talk about Brady all they want. Brady gets less calls than everyone else does. He gets less. I mean, the the stats are there. I'm not going to go through all of them. It's stupid. But, like, Brady gets less rough in the passer calls than pretty much anyone else in the league. He just does. That's just a fact. That's just the numbers. Right? And so, like, but he plays in so many big games that he'll typically get one or two in a big game or he'll get one in a big game or he'll get one in, you know, two big games during the playoffs and people,
1: oh, Brady gets all the calls because you see those plays, right? Where it's like, you know, he, makes, he makes a big deal of it too, right. and that obviously not going to help the public perception exactly. of it. But yeah. And the flip side of this is that usually when Brady's coming in, most of the time he's also really good at taking hits. We know right. he spent a lot of time on that, so he, he kind of puts himself in a position where he can't be roughed a lot of the time, which I think is a skill set that just every NFL player should learn. I mean, just yep. for your own health, just learn how Agreed. to go down easily. No, we're not. Nobody's trying to get hurt out here. We want to bring you to the ground without hurting you. And I think the roughing the pass rules obviously need to exist. We should be making sure that quarter that guys aren't hurt just going out trying to hurt people. But at the same time, it doesn't work as a deterrent on any of this stuff if it's outside of the defender's control. Right. If it can't change their actions, if they're at a point where they can't do anything about it. They're just playing the game and there's really small margins some of the time and they're not being reckless. Then it's not it's not doing anything other than giving 15 yards in a first down to the offense anytime by random chance some of these plays happen and somebody in the ref thinks it's enough for roughing the passer. And that's probably not it you're always gonna have a little bit of random chance in that stuff and subjectiveness, but that's too much for the long-term health of the league. I think obviously I the, the ratings keep going up. So maybe maybe we're wrong, but
0: yeah, but I do think you gotta have a guy watching. I think that I think that's the yeah. easy solution. Have a guy watching Coaches can't challenge, but it, it can be an automatic challenge from New York watching the play. Hey, you got that one wrong. You got it wrong. I don't think you can go back. I don't want them to retroactively go back and assign a penalty. I want them to be able to look at every penalty. Okay, you threw a flag. Was it the right flag? No. Nope. Hey, New York calls. No, nope, you got it wrong. Change it. Okay. Wasn't a flag. Right? So, like, that's what I want. That's what I want to to see. Is, you know, because then what because then what happens is what happens or what should happen at this point now, if you know, if I get an interception in the end zone and you're not sure if it's an interception or not, guess what? You're calling it an interception because it's an automatically reviewed play. Every single turnover, every single scoring play is automatically reviewed. So you let the play play out. And then you can go to the review, right? So if you're not sure if it's a penalty or not, sure, throw the flag. Because now we're reviewing it anyways. And so, yeah, we look at it and say, yeah, no, that's not. No, that's not a penalty. Like, okay, pick up the flag. It's fine. Don't worry about it, right? So the question is, you know, will these guys be okay with that? And I just feel like, yeah, they will be. Their egos will be just fine, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's, that's, I think, the easiest solution.
1: Yeah, and I think if you want it, you can have a guy in the box too, who has like a flag button and a buzzer in the head ref's ear. And if the guy up top hits the flag button because he saw something from up there or on one of the video angles in a play that said, "Hey, there was a flag on that," they throw the flag, and it's just an extra ref with an extra pair of eyes who gets to call things in and help them out with stuff. That probably works. I think if you did that too, and maybe you yeah. maybe you limit maybe you limit replays to like ninety seconds per review. If you can't tell within 90 seconds what's going on with something, it's probably isn't close. It's probably so close. You shouldn't be overturning it. Right. None of these. Let's, I don't know. I The way I always think about it is this. If you were playing flag football or whatever with your friends after school when you're growing up and something was happening, just think about how you would want it to be resolved in a situation like that. And everybody wants to play the game. So it's let's find the quickest, fairest solution that works for everybody. and go on with it. That's that's going to it's not going to be 100% perfect all of the time but that's going to keep the flow the game. is going to keep people engaged. I think that's probably what makes your product the best. And that goes for all rules too. If we're talking about the catch rule, think about what you would call a catch on the playground with your friends and build it out of that.
0: Right. Agreed. I so agree.
1: Because that complicated.
0: So, all right. Speaking of making things complicated, let's get into <laughs> analytics because this is a conversation I know you want to have. And I think it's, <laughs> I think it's an important conversation to have. Listen, I don't care what you're about to say. Brandon Sale, you stupid, and you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> and so, um,
1: but nevertheless, teed me up here.
0: Let's uh, let's hear it. Let's hear. It. Let's yeah, hear what you got to say yeah, about I, analytics, because I have I, te- I have some takes on this too.
1: When did I when I text you that Monday night it Was that like yesterday morning, Tuesday morning? I don't remember, but you I were like, "Let's talk about analytics," and I'm like, "It was, let's it was Tuesday. Go. <laughs> it was Tuesday morning." I just texted you. And I was like, "Can we talk about that?" I I'm in the mood to rant. Yeah, I just I get frustrated by all the discourse around this as a whole because both both extreme ends of the spectrum here are just kind of crazy. like what analytics are, It's a fancy word to say we have more math that breaks down the history of some of this stuff. And we don't know a lot of the specifics. everybody has their own f- formulas for what's going in, what's coming out of everything. But at the end of the day, it's a shortcut to say, hey, we're going to look at the history of football. And recent history and all of these different situations based on all the measurements we're able to have now about where players are on the field and all this crazy stuff. I know for like yardage, they go down to the inch to where the ball is. That's how precise this stuff gets to know. Okay, is it is it fourth and 12 inches or is it fourth and 16 inches? That type of thing. But they're just looking at the history of, okay, in these situations, what's happened when teams have gone for it and what's happened when teams haven't? And then based on that, it's giving you a couple of numbers telling you basically probabilities of what's going to happen one way or the other. And the reality is, in most of these situations, the analytics are going to be mostly split, even if they're indicating one direction or the other, might be 60-40. If it's 60-40, that's a a weighted coin flip. If you flip a coin for for 10 times, instead of five heads, five tails, it comes out I don't know, six heads, four tails. That's not some crazy thing. That's what, We're just adjusting it a little bit. Right. And it's another tool for coaches to make their decisions off of. It's not, you're never going to get it 100% right. It's not like, oh, if we do what the numbers tell us every single time, then we are guaranteed to get it every single time. You're going to have failure. It's just another tool in the bag to get you closer. And I think to me, the most important thing that I heard this week on this was, the player and coach reactions from the Raiders after they decided to go for two to go for that lead late in that game. They were excited. They were enthusiastic. They were confident. They liked the odds there. They had a play call that they liked. It didn't work out. They ended up like an inch or two short of the goal line. It happens sometimes. But that is kind of what matters. And that's where the analytics aren't the ones making these decisions. It's a tool for the coaches. And then they can weigh it with some of the stuff that the analytics can't. You can't put heart or number of plays on the play sheet or what happened last drive or a player injury or things like that into some of this stuff. Maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe some of these teams have a way to measure heart that we haven't figured out yet from the outside. But unless I, yeah, unless they haven't, like, it's just how it's helping these guys out. And I don't, I don't know if that was the analytically correct decision to go for two for the Raiders, but it was a fan. It was really fun to watch. It was exciting. And I think intuitively it makes sense. Either way, you need to get a defensive stop. Yep. And we think we have a play that we can put out there that gives us the lead right now. That our coaches, our coaches, are excited about our players are excited about. We'd think it can work and we like this matchup. So let's go out there. We need to stop one way or the other. Let's get it while we have the lead. Right. And and it didn't work out. And you know what? I don't care. I think that was the right decision. I think it was fun. I think except for the Raiders kicking that field goal to go up 17-0 instead of going forward on fourth and one, I agreed with every single fourth down or two-point decision in that Monday night game. And it's not something crazy. It's just, hey, we want to be aggressive with some of this stuff. We want to give our players the chance to make a play right now instead of letting things play out later that we might not have control over.
0: I do say, I, I will say, I think that some of the fourth downs are a little egregious, right? I like the idea of kicking a field goal up fourteen nothing, because what you're doing is taking points, and I I I understand it. I understand it's the Chiefs. I understand you can get fourth downs. I get it. I do. I understand. Ultimately, you need points, right? And so when points are sitting there staring you in the face, I think you take them. And so you know, especially when you're going against the Chiefs, right? Yeah, okay, it's fourteen nothing. Great. It doesn't matter if it's 14-0 or not. They get a stop on fourth down. Now, all of a sudden, they have momentum. Boom, they go down and score a touchdown. Now it's 14-7. And you're like, oh, crap. Now it's a one-score game, right? So, But
1: they went up 17-0, and that still wasn't a big enough lead.
0: No, no. I Listen, you're not wrong. I'm just telling you, right, that I think that getting more points is good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that's, yeah. that's
0: the way I feel about it. Now, from the Chiefs' perspective, I think – and I don't know what the analytics say, right – I thought it was curious by them to go for two, up seven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I obviously know why they did it, right? It's it's a two-score game if they get the two-point conversion. That's obviously huge. But if I'm the Chiefs, I might look at that and say, you know what, if I go for one, now now maybe they're taking into account the fact that Harrison Butker's hurt and they don't trust their kicker, right? Maybe they're, maybe they're looking at that and saying, okay, our chances of getting this extra point are a little bit lower because we're dealing with a backup kicker instead of our starting kicker. And so... Because Butker's still hurt, right? I'm not I'm not lying about that.
1: Yeah, no.
0: Right? So, like, so, okay. So, Butker's still hurt. Yeah, we don't really trust our kicker that much. Let's go for two and see if we can make a two-score game. And then the game's pretty much over at that point, right? So, I didn't hate it. I just thought, hey, kick the extra point and you go up eight. Now you force them to get a two-point conversion just to tie the game. From the From the Raiders' perspective, I understand it because it's the Chiefs, right? You're not playing a bad team. You're playing a really good team. So, if you get to overtime, now you have to win the toss and score a touchdown because you know if the Chiefs win the toss, you're losing the game. You know that. Yeah. That's what's going to happen, right? It's just like playing Brady. If you're playing Mahomes or you're playing the Bills and you're going to go to overtime, you're going to lose if they get the ball. It's just it's, going it's to all,
1: happen. Yeah. It's all less than 50 50 chance of winning right. once you get there.
0: Exactly. And so that, so you look at it and say, okay, if we have a chance to take the lead here, Yeah, okay, we gotta get a stop, but we gotta get a stop anyways. Even if we tie the game, good. Like we still gotta get a stop on them, right? And then we could lose in overtime anyways. So, you know, to me, you take the lead, and if you can get one stop, now all of a sudden you win the game as opposed to losing the game. You know, I don't I don't hate it. And I don't I think the analytics what what people discount and what people don't really think about is that at the end of the day, the game's not played by robots, it's played by people. Right, yeah. and so like, you know, like you said, the Raiders are excited to go for that two point conversion because they feel like we're winning the game right here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On the other side of it, you have a team with like the Chargers, who just they just go for it nonstop. And I understand, okay, it's fourth and two or it's fourth and one. Hey, we're going for it. Why? Like, why? Right? That the end of the game there, you're up by two. A field goal, you lose the game on a field goal. You lose the game. If you don't pick up the first down in that in that spot, they need one first down and the game is over. One first down and the game is over. You're at the 45-yard line, right? So if they pick up a first down, you lose. Mm. And so in all likelihood, of course, I mean, it ends up being like a 50-yard field goal, but it's basically you lose the game if they pick up one first down. So to me, I just think kick the ball away, and tell them with zero timeouts that they have to drive, you know, sixty yards to kick a, to kick a game-winning field goal with a minute and fifteen seconds left. Right. So, like, that's kind of where I stand. I understand you trust your. I get that you trust your offense. I get it. But like, at some point, you have to look at your defense. Because if I'm if I'm on the Chargers' defense,
1: I'm looking at that saying,
0: "Well, he doesn't trust me. They think we suck.
1: See, you know, and, I, and, and so and I would." And I would argue actually the complete opposite here. I would say if you're the Chargers defense, you know the coach has a ton of confidence in you because the coach thinks it doesn't matter where the Browns are starting with the ball on the field. You're getting the stop. They're not going anywhere. Right. So they think the defense is good enough that we can just go for this. And if we don't get it, it's not going to matter because we're getting the stop. That's going to yeah. happen. We're going to force them into a bad field goal. I, what I think at the heart of this is that most of these situations that we've outlined there's a pretty good argument on either side of them. Right. Most of these aren't like hundred or nothing. So it's the analytics or tell most of the time telling the coaches that, Hey, both sides of this can work. It's 50, 50. Both of these can be an advantage for you if you execute them. So you need the players to execute them. And you take into account a couple of things you take into account how your players are feeling about the situation and you try to make a decision based on that. I think, I think any decision that is getting your, your players fired up and confident and ready to go out there and make a play, it's hard to say that that's going to end up being a bad one at the end of the day. Because like you right. said, they're not robots. They're they're people out there. If you can get them engaged and fired up, you're probably doing something right. You're probably putting them in a good position. Yeah, That's why I did think it was kind of alarming that you had Keenan Allen tweeting after that Brian Stryger's <laughs> right. name. I mean? That's what, what talking about, right? Yeah, Yeah, but at the same time, if I tell you would you rather have Justin Herbert get one yard? And if he can't, you what's his uh, Brissett has to get a first down or Brissett has to get four first Brissett has to get four first downs. Those feel about equal to me because Herbert getting one yard or however, it might have been a yard and a half two yards. Yeah,
0: but still yeah, right.
1: That, that feels like, oh, I mean, it's they should be able to do that. I think most NFL offenses should be able to get one yard anytime they're asked to do it. So. I think basically from your own 40 on fourth and one or less, you should always be thinking about doing it. You don't have to do it every single time, but you got to think about it. And I think what analytics does is it crunches the numbers in a way where the coaches kind of have it printed out for them that, hey, your gut may tell you we have to punt here because that's what we've always done in the NFL. But maybe you don't. There's another option here that might be just as good if you can execute it. So it opens things up. It gives more you know, legitimate pathways for coaches to make things. It gives them more options for stuff. And I think it's more exciting for the fans, too. I mean, yeah, I well, I I'd rather watch these high stakes fourth and ones at the end of a game than the the punts. and. No, if- I get
0: it. I understand. But I think, you know, I do think there is some beauty in in, you know, in some of that those decisions that Belichick, Games, you know, that people yeah. make right where they say, yeah. nope, we're going to punt it away or we're going to, you know, can I, take an intentional can, safety and go from there. You know, Can, what I, I, mean?
1: can I make a, I think the best argument for me for this whole thing about going for it? Let's being hear aggressive. This is going to hurt a little bit, but take yourself <laughs> back to that Super Bowl against the Eagles. And that last drive the Eagles had. Now, you remember, the Pats get that stop on third down. They have not been able to stop the Eagles on third down all game long, but they finally get that stop. And you're feeling good. You're like, we're getting the ball back. We're, we're in good position, finally. And then they say, the offense is staying out there. And I remember that feeling in the pit of my stomach. That, oh, man, they're going for this. They think they can get this. And I didn't feel good about the Patriots defense stopping them, which obviously they didn't. Right. I think that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach kind of, Shows that your body understands some of what's going on here, even though it's we're calling analytics and we're using fancy math. What it really is is saying, "Hey, we know that we haven't been good in this spot, and being aggressive here might not work out for the for the Patriots. But it might not work out for us because we haven't been able to get these stops. Now they're like they're going for it again, and I don't I don't like our odds of stopping them here twice. Like it's it's kind of that that feeling. I think encapsulates it. If you're feeling anxious. On the defensive side, when the other side's design, deciding to go for it, that tells me that that decision to go for it is probably a good one,
0: right? Oh, and you're not wrong. I mean, you're not wrong, and I, I would say that there are definitely times that I think you should go for it. Yeah, and and I think that I do like the fact that people have been more aggressive. I've been very vocal about how mm-hmm. you know Belichick has lost them two overtime games because of his refusal to go for it on fourth down. No. Around the around the red uh, around midfield, right? He did it last mm-hmm. year against Dallas and he did it this year against Green Bay. And yes, they were with rookie quarterbacks, but it doesn't matter. You have a chance. You're in overtime. Go for the freaking first down and try to win the game on that drive instead of you know putting the team, you know, putting the game in your defense's hands. And then, yeah. you know, they obviously end up losing both those games on the ensuing drive, right? So like there are definitely times that you should where well, you should be strongly considering going for it. I do believe that. But I also think that there are times when you need to know when to pump the brakes, right? You need to know, hey, what are we doing here, man? Like, you know, so, and there is no, there is no off switch for, for Brandon Staley. It just, it just is, yeah. right? He just, and I does don't it.
1: think it's, and I don't think it's working out for him. It is. No, I will say, I do think, I think the NFL media and broadcasters need to do a better job of talking about what exactly analytics is. It's not some boogeyman. Yeah. Explain it to people. It's numbers. We're crunching math, but they don't, We're trying but to they don't you. want
0: to they don't want to yeah. cuz they cuz they're stuck yeah, yeah. in the past, you know.
1: No, and it's not like coaches are hitting some magic button that's telling them what to do. They're not asking a genie, "What do I do here?" They're they're hitting a there's some kind of a model that they probably crunch before the game. I don't know exactly how all of this stuff works and a lot of it they keep hidden, but it's going to spit out a couple of numbers to them and it's probably probabilities and expected points added and metrics like that and it's going to tell you you have more expected points in this situation. Than you do in this situation. So right. you should you should go for it. Or you shouldn't go for it. Or whatever it is. But the margin there is going to be pretty small. So don't say it's the analytics that he should go for it. So he needs to go for it. Right. Framing it that way is just not productive. Because you're going to miss things. And saying the analytics say he should go for it. Why isn't he? Like saying this is an awful decision. and This is the most conservative coach I've ever seen. And he needs to be fired for it. That's not how this works either. The model right. is always going to take into a model. Always is going to be missing some things that the coach is going to know. That's how this is going to work. And for most of the coaches in the NFL, I'm very willing to put myself aside and say, Hey, they know more information than me here. And I trust their judgment. Generally speaking, they know more about football than I do. So I'm going to assume that that if this decision doesn't make sense to me, they probably know something that I don't that's helping them to make that decision. Yeah, That's not going to, obviously, people make dumb decisions. So it doesn't excuse 100% of every single decision ever made on a football field. But I think people just need to have a tiny bit more patience with this and seek to understand and just, just figure out some of the underlying stuff here. You don't have to agree with it. Like You can disagree with the coach's decision and still agree that it isn't a bad decision. It's just a different one.
0: Right. Which is true. And and I do think the one thing that people that I think some people that that back the analytics, not everyone, mm-hmm. but I do think that some people that back the analytics don't take into account the fact that analytics are talking about when you look at the math part of it, you're talking about averages. You're not talking mm-hmm. about what's going to happen on a play. Right. And, you know, probability. And I. I teach probability in class, and I tell the kids probability is predicting the future. You are trying to predict the future by what has happened in the past. Just because a coin is going to come up 50% heads and 50% tails, it doesn't mean if you flip the coin 10 times, you're going to get five heads and five tails. That's not what it means, right? And so if you flip the coin 10,000 times, you're going to get pretty close to 5,000 and 5,000 because you've done it enough that ultimately it's going to get to just about 50-50 but you have to do it over and over and over and over again in order for things to come up the way that you think they should. So yes, going for it on this fourth down might add more points here. it's It gives you the opportunity. If you get it, now you have the opportunity of getting more points. If you don't get it, well, now you've given your opponent a better chance of of scoring because of where you've put them, right? So all of those things come into play. Right. And so you have to kind of weigh those good with the bad. Right. And so, like, I think that that's something that we haven't talked about enough. And I think some something that people haven't discussed enough is the fact that, yeah, okay, that's true. All of that stuff is there. But at the same time, that stuff isn't it's not on a play to play basis. It's not like, oh, well, on this play, if I do this, this is going to make me win or make me lose because it's not. It's about executing as well. Obviously, if you're successful, it's better. But if you're not successful, then what happens there, right? And and where are you? Right. And so a great example is last week with the with the Ravens, right? They go for it fourth and one at the goal line. They don't get it. Lamar throws an interception in the end zone. So now not only do they not get it, but now instead of pinning the Bills back deep, the Bills get the ball at the 20 yard line instead of at the two. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like so those are the types of things that, and of course, you can't predict he's going to throw an interception in the end zone, obviously. But, like, or the Lions go for it on fourth down, strip sack, Patriots pick it up and turn it for touchdown, right? So, like, you can't predict that those things are going to happen. But at the same time, there is a chance that that stuff happens on every play, right? So, like, the analytics and and those parts of things, yes, of course, right? We can use that. And, again, and I think what you said is important, and I think that this is what we can't lose sight of. Ultimately, it's just another tool in the two bag. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just another way to make decisions just because the analytics say we should go for it here doesn't mean you need to go for it just because, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the punt, whatever the hell that stupid Twitter page is, the, you know, the, the.
1: Puntalytics.
0: Yeah, like the, you know, oh, that was, you know, that was the, the, the uh scaredest punt or the, oh yeah, uh, yeah. whatever I, it is. You know what yeah, I mean? I, like, honest, I love that Twitter account. And I think know, it's funny. Surrender, I, index. surrender I, that's index. That's it. Surrender index. Oh, you know, he, he was, the, that's <laughs> the most cowardly punt I've ever seen. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, ultimately, did you win the game or lose the game? How did the defense react to that? How did the other offense react to that? So like, those are the things that you can't necessarily take into account when you're going out there. Right. And yeah. so. It just, it all depends. It all depends on on what's going on. And you have to trust that your coach understands what the players, number one, can do, and number two, want to do on both sides of the football, both the guys that are on the field and the guys that aren't on the field. Because I'll tell you right now, if I was on the Chargers, I'd be freaking pissed if I was on the Chargers. And maybe I wouldn't be if I was on the offense because I'm like, hey, we're always going to have a chance to, to pick up the first down. But if I wasn't, I'd be like, man, I got to pick these guys up again, dude. Like they can't like it would just it would drive me insane.
1: Yeah. And I think the other part, like it's just. The discussion becomes, should they have gone for it or should they not have gone for it? And that's one decision that's only part of the equation. Also, the play call and the guys you decide to have out there and like the one we always talk about, which isn't really going for it or not, but it's the pass at the goal line from Seattle. And the discussion around that is, should they have run it or passed it? Mathematically, they should have passed it on that play just because it was second down. They only have one timeout left. If you want to maximize the number of plays you have left, you throw it on second down there. The issue wasn't the pass. The (laughs) The issue was that you were using the exact same play that you have used in that situation all season long. And the defense knows that it's coming.
0: Right. So well, the other part like of that's, it too.
1: That's that was the thing with the Chargers. I didn't. I had no issue with them going for it. I actually did have an issue with them going for it when I watched it live. I thought about it more, realized what was going on, realized how much how, how the fact that it worked out anyway, and I was like, okay. I don't love the slant call there, given the situation and how bad that Browns run defense is. Right. Um.
0: Yeah, the fact that Austin I don't hundred and seventy yards rushing, like, and you yeah. didn't go to him on fourth and two. It's like, what are yeah. you
1: doing? I, was like, I don't. I don't hate. The decision to go for it i don't like the actual play call that they're putting out there uh, right and i think well, but again that is the most important to go of-
0: back to the super bowl 49 thing and we got to get out of here because we've been here for a yeah. long time but to to <laughs> go back to Super you then to us i know i promise. know but to go back to the super bowl 49 thing for me on the goal line there you're right that on second down you only have one timeout left you probably have to have to throw the ball that's true but good coaching would tell you, if you line up in big personnel, and now you just called the timeout, by the way, Mm. okay? You called the timeout, you go out on the field, you bring your players in, and you say, look, we're going to call two plays in the huddle. We're going to run a play. If we don't get in, we're going to line right back up and run another play. And then guess what happens? Now Belichick's forced to call a timeout. Now Belichick calls a timeout, or maybe he doesn't. Fine, you line it up, you run it again. Yeah, And then... You know what I mean? So that's where, to me, that's where the pull and pull, push and pull comes from. Cause you're like, well, at some point you have to coach them up too, right? You you have to coach them up too at some point. And so like, and that's a whole nother scenario. I could talk about that. I could talk about that one drive for an hour and a half. So I, you know, we can't get too far into that. But, but to me, that's where it comes to. Yes. The analytics and the decision-making, they can, they can point you in one direction, but ultimately it comes down to. Have you coached your players up well enough? Can you coach in a specific situation? And then what can your players do in that situation that you've put them? Right. And so all of those things come into play.
1: Yeah. And it's when you're doing the math and predicting the future. You're expecting a certain amount of randomness, except there isn't really randomness here because it's people who are acting like that's random to a degree, but it isn't at all. If this is highly coordinated and it's people making decisions. So on the large scale, it's random. On the small scale, it isn't at all. But uh, you would talk about that with the Mac Jones interceptions. There's a certain amount of randomness to his interceptions, but you watch the plays and you can see the specific things that it is that he's doing wrong. All of these decisions that we've talked about here, we were probably talking about them differently if the players execute them differently. Right. It's yeah. a results-based business, and you need none of these decisions were the wrong one, I guess. None of these decisions made it so that the players could not make a play to win the game. And none of these decisions put them in a bad situation to make a play.
0: Yeah. In the, mm-hmm.
1: if, if Malcolm Butler and Brandon Browner don't make a fantastic play in that Super Bowl, that slant does get in and Seattle wins. If that, if, what do you call it? What's his face on uh, the Raiders? Actually gets an extra inch, Josh Jacobs, and gets into the end zone. Like, he was incredibly close to doing that. We might be talking about that. People might be talking about that differently. I had no issue with it. Yeah, it's none of these. Unless it's the Colts lining up for whatever that fake punt was back in 2015 and against the Patriots. That's the kind of decision where you go. What in the world is this coach thinking? Most decisions aren't that most are guys listening to their players, trust in their gut, trying to put them in a good position based on what they've seen in practice and what they've seen on film. And I think the NFL coaches in general could probably stand to be a tiny bit more aggressive as a whole. It's why I liked that Raiders chiefs game. I thought there was a lot of fun stuff in that game. Um, but I think we also, as a whole need to stop talking about analytics as a boogeyman or some mysterious force. It's not, it's not based on your mitochondria count. This isn't, Star Wars like it's (laughs) just it's just numbers in a box that's helping guys make decisions I guarantee you every single other business that you interact with on a daily business also has analytics that they are using to make their business decisions going forward we're just talking about it because it's sports and entertainment and decisions that are very high profile that get analyzed this way yep 100% people if people analyzed McDonald's franchising locations the under the same microscope that they analyze fourth down decisions in the NFL, we might be talking about analytics under that context, too. But we don't. This is what we're talking about. So,
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> well, there you go. So, anyways, uh, let's move on. We have our last segment, and then we'll move out I of here. I forgot about that. I uh-huh. That. <laughs> so, um, but yes, analytics. Look, I mean, d- don't hate them. Don't hate them. They're there. As long as they're not, you know, as long as the coach has a brain, I'm not, I'm not convinced that Brandon Staley actually has a brain and I'm not convinced he's (laughs) not just typing into the computer as it goes. But as long as the coach understands what's going on, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And
1: I will, I will issue just kind of a broad statement to people too. If you're, if you don't know much about analytics, like, go out and look at some articles and stuff there's a lot of really good pieces that talk about this and introduce people to what's going on and break it down like there's cool stuff out there if you want to learn more about the sports you're watching there are there are resources there so we welcome you into that conversation because it's fun to learn more about the things you like
0: yes exactly (laughs) all right final segment of the night here we go let's do it and now for something we think you'll really like this week in sports history all right, so I can go – I have two here. I'll start with one, and then you go, and then I'll go – I'll do the last one. How's that sound? I like it. All right, so on October 12, 1916, the Boston Red Sox beat the Brooklyn Robins 4-1 to at Braves Field to clinch the series, winning the 1916 World Series.
1: Ooh. That's a good – that's going way back there. Way back. Yeah. Um, I'm doing mine and we're recording this on October 12th for less than an hour until October 13th. So I'm just picking one from the 13th because I like it. Unicorns show ponies. Where's the beef? It's the anniversary of Ken Tompkins catching that touchdown pass against the uh, New Orleans Saints to get that win back in 2013. Five seconds left in the game. Uh, one of my favorite games in modern Patriots history, just an electric game and one Brady would have tied the record for most consecutive games with a touchdown pass with Drew Brees, or he may have broken the record in that game if he had not failed to throw a touchdown pass the week before in Cincinnati in that game with the that rainstorm in the final two or That's three great. minutes or whatever it was. Yep, I, I remember that game was not on TV in my market, and I was frantically searching the internet on my old laptop <laughs> trying to find any way to... I was watching the end of that game in like 240p, on an old laptop just trying to make out in the pixels and through the rain what exactly was going on.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's Pat Saints. That was a great game. That game, I was at my buddy's wedding, and my other buddy's dad drove his minivan around to the back of the place, and there was like eight or nine of us around back, Mm -hmm. and I had been texting with my sister back and forth all day because I'm like, the game's going on, and I'm missing it, and I'm always at all of the home games, and I'm like Mm -hmm. missing this game. And she's like, Brady threw a freaking interception, like, God damn it, they blew it. And I'm like, son of a, and then, so then I'm like walking to the bathroom and the bathrooms in the back of the place. And I like see people, like I see someone walk in from outside. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, you want to go out there? So I go out there and they got the, they got the radio blasting in his car and everyone's standing around the car. And we're listening to the last, to the, like the last drive. And Zo goes nuts, and we're jumping up and down, Mm -hmm. screaming, and like we're outside in the parking lot. I'm like, "Oh my god, dude!" And then that night was the Ortiz Grand Slam against the Tigers. So the same exact night, just an unbelievable day in Boston sports. Both of those games at home, I believe. So there are, I'm sure, there's at least a few people out there that was at both, which definitely
1: some media members that took that trip off after yeah what a freaking
0: uh, day that was
1: for someone yeah i don't remember if it was that game or the browns game later that season i remember late in it when the pants were down my dad and i were washing he was just fed up with it it's a cold day or whatever so he's going out and he was gonna go get some wood and get ready to start a fire he's getting the, yeah. the wheelbarrow out doing stuff outside i was like no i'm sticking with it i'm watching through the end of this one and then the that drives happening. I remember just going outside, just screaming, "Dad, you got to come in! Yeah, got to come see this."
0: So I think thirteen. Uh, it was the Saints, the Broncos, and the Browns, where the Patriots yep. had just insane comebacks and ended up winning both, winning all those games. Of course, the Browns they recovered that onside kick, um, yep. you know, but it was just it was complete madness that they won those games. They had no business winning any of those games, and they won them all. So, yep. um, yeah, and,
1: that, and that was to really date you here. Um, that was kind of some of my core childhood patriot memories yeah. there well, I because the, the pats had three super bowl wins by the time i was in like first grade and then growing up it's the 07 and the 11 teams so that 13 right. team was the first one where it was like oh wow like we're kind of an underdog and we have like big plays happening and crazy yeah. stuff and it's coming it great it's year. Like th- really that just don't that was that was th- the big year of just do not doubt tom brady if yeah. late in a game, he is just going to, and obviously that existed before, but that was that year for me of kind of watching it of, oh, wow, uh, I get it. <laughs> I'm seeing yep. it for myself, what he can do in live. Yeah, game.
0: exactly. So, all right. And then the last, this week in sports history is a wild one. I'm going back to 1853. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's when John Morrissey wins the heavyweight boxing title of the world, beating Yankee Sullivan. In the wait for it, thirty sixth round, and it was a heavily contested one. And here's what happened: came to a controversial end. No one really knows, of course, it was 1853, so there's no mm-hmm. video of it or anything like that. Yeah, you're no just one really. It from when you were there, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When I yeah. was there, I was sitting, <laughs> ring, I was sitting ringside. Um, but no one really knows exactly what happened. There's argument. There's people that say uh, that. Uh, Sullivan actually knocked Morrissey out and then left the ring, which he wasn't allowed to do, which I feel like that probably isn't true, but he, he left the ring and then mm-hmm. started throwing punches at Morrissey's like fans. And so was disqualified. And so uh, Morrissey ended up winning the bout. but imagine the 36th round, the man got right disqualified on. in the 36th round. And there was a huge thing. Like, the betters weren't going to pay the slips because they were like, no, like there's this whole thing. And then they ended up doing it after, you know, after a while. But, uh, it was just one of those things. that's like a kind of a controversial ending, but I'm like 36. Can you even imagine 36 rounds? And I believe I'm almost positive. They were bare knuckle boxers. <laughs> so like, I mean, these dudes were nuts. Nice. So way back. yeah, 1853. And at that point, like, Boxing was still very like taboo. It was like a, yeah. you know, it was looked at as like, not, I don't want to say like a fake sport, but it was like a dirty business basically. So not a
1: savory, uh, thing. not a family, not a family friendly affair.
0: No, it was not. No, it was not. And uh, John Morrissey would go on to become a New York state Senator, which is pretty cool. Yankee Are there Sullivan. Movies?
1: Are there movies about this guy?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. Sure. Yankee that Sullivan is. would be killed by vigilantes in San Francisco. So they lived very different lives.
1: <laughs> This sounds—we don't have a movie about this already. I think somebody needs to start working on a script. I think so. That, it's pretty cool. Sounds like could be something interesting there.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. So who doesn't want a movie set in the 1850s? You know what I mean.
1: We need another good boxing movie.
0: Yeah, exactly. The Cinderella Man, I think, is the best one.
1: I remember? Yeah, That's in a good my Southpaw. opinion, Southpaw is it Southpaw is what it was called.
0: Something uh, the like one that. with Joe all—is that the one with Joe and all?
1: No, I just remember watching it in history class when I was a kid. It was about some. Famous historical figure, but
0: lefty, I would assume.
1: It was, yeah, I think an Irish boxer from maybe the yeah. early 1900s. And obviously,
0: but... the fighter is that amazing. I mean, like there's there's been some really good ones. Obviously, the yeah. Rockies and so on and so forth. But Cinderella Man is one that is one for me it's that classic. I like a lot. So it's a classic. So, anyways, all right. So we got whew, went almost an hour yeah. and a half tonight.
1: Yeah, uh one o'clock on Sunday.
0: One o'clock on Sunday. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Browns that much because we don't really need to. This is the the Browns. It's Jacoby Brissett. Stop Nick Chubb, you win the game. Don't stop Nick Chubb, you lose the game. It's like, it's pretty simple. You know what I mean? So it's going to be on CBS, by the way.
1: No. Uh, It's Kevin Harlan and Trent Green on the call on CBS.
0: Man, Kevin Harlan's so good. And Trent Green just stinks. I love
1: love Kevin Harlan. Uh, I'm looking at this. I only just realized that Andrew Catalan does NFL games. I know him. He does a lot of their, he does a lot of their big East games for CPS. Oh, nice. Uh, There you go. Much, much to my annoyance, to be honest.
0: Yeah. He's not very good, but
1: he's also kind of biased. So (laughs) (laughs) I know he doesn't like the friars. I don't know how that translates to, to NFL stuff.
0: Well, maybe he doesn't like the Patriots either. Who knows? Yeah. So anyways, well, enjoy the game people. And we will talk to you uh, Sunday night. I'm not sure what's going to happen next week after the monday night game i'll be at the monday night game i don't know how the heck we're possibly going to do an instant reaction show to that one after the game on monday but maybe i'll do it from the parking lot monday night or something like that i don't know maybe yeah, i'll just call it maybe it'll just
1: something. be me i'll just i'll just sit here and could talk it could to just
0: you be you or or maybe we'll have a we'll have a special guest on with you too who knows so we'll figure something out but uh but anyways that's what we got thanks for listening thanks for the five people still watching we appreciate you guys uh thank you very much and uh and we will talk to you guys on sunday